woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you! Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, and inside they are filled with greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are filled with dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and you decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus, you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation.
you have to come to church to hear something like that. It's because that's what Jesus said. And it's hard to hear it. I mean, it's, it's rash, harsh, over the top. Uh, to be called a hypocrite once is one thing, but just repeatedly, you hypocrite, you hypocrite, you hypocrite. And those are the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 23 uh, to some people that are known as Pharisees, and we use that term quite a bit. I don't know if we're using it accurately, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 13 and going all the way through verse 36, gives a rather um, critical uh, and stark and embarrassing critique of the religious leaders of his day. And we hear those words, those words kind of ringing down to us. And uh, the one thing that you get notice of is that I don't think I should be a Pharisee, right? Did you kind of get that from what Kyle was sharing? I don't think I want to be that guy when God comes back. And yet we, we, we talk a lot about being a Pharisee. And if there's one thing I hear a lot about in terms of church today, it's that, boy, the church is full of a number of hypocrites or Pharisees. And I want to make sure that if the condemnation that we just heard that is being described, if, if that is true, then, boy, we need to listen to that, don't you think? We, we need to be able to ask the very honest question, like, is that me or is that us? Does that rightly depict where I've come from or who I am or how I operate or how I look at life? Because if it is, then I stand under, we stand under the same judgment that Jesus gives to the hypocrites, to the scribes, and to the Pharisees, to the blind guides of his day. But the more I read the scriptures and the more that I kind of get a sense from the people around me about what it means to be a Pharisee, I, I don't know if the two actually line up. It seems like a lot of the conversations that I hear about being a Pharisee today, they describe somebody who really doesn't like people. They're... Um, self-righteous in the sense that they somehow believe that by all of their good works and by all of their good deeds, they can somehow win the favor of God. That they don't need God's grace, they don't need God's mercy, they don't need his forgiveness. What they really need to do is just find a way to manage or work the law so that God would ultimately owe them. That's what a Pharisee is. A Pharisee is someone who really doesn't care about other people, which is so important and so critical, especially in our day and age, to, um, to, to make uh, this outward appearance about loving and caring for other people. And when the Pharisees label some as sinners or tax collectors, that's just not nice, is it? That's just not kind. And so to be labeled a Pharisee brings a, a number of that baggage with it. And clearly, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite and I don't want to be a Pharisee. I, I sure do need and I'm um, very grateful for the grace of God. I do not believe that my righteous works in any way can somehow win God's favor. Man, I don't want to be like a Pharisee. But is that really what the Pharisees were like? It's just easy for us to caricaturize them so that they can just become one more enemy or someone else that we can go, well, at least I'm not like them. I'm not like Hitler, and I'm not like a Pharisee, right? But when you go back and you take a look at the roots in terms of where the Pharisees came from, 
you find a different story than what most people describe. See, in Israel's history, God had come to them a number of times and said, this is who I am and this is what it means to be in relationship with me. Here is my law and, and it is a description of who I am in my holiness and in my righteousness. And I'm going to bless you and you need to obey me. You need to follow me. And by following me, you will actually be righteous and holy. That's what the book of Leviticus is all about. And the people of God, Abraham's descendants, those that were in Egypt and then drawn up out of Egypt, decided, ah, I don't know if we need this. I don't, know if, I don't know if it makes that big of a deal. And so they decide to reject God's covenant. They decided to reject the plea that God made for them to follow him and to obey him, um, to pursue him, to become like him in holiness and righteousness. And for that reason... They were removed from their land. They were judged by the Babylonians, but it was really a judgment that came from God. And God removed them, and he removed them out of the land, and he destroyed the temple that they had made to him, and now they're in exile. They're in Babylon. They're in modern-day Persia or Iraq. And they're looking around. They're scratching their heads, and they're going, how did we get here? How did we mess up so severely that we are now again in a foreign land under occupied territory? And they realized it's because we refuse to listen to God. We refuse to follow him. We refuse to obey him. And that has never worked well for us. And there began a group of people. Some people believe that Ezra wrote a number of books in our Bible. Maybe one of the first ones who said, listen, we need to go back and look at the law and pursue the law and pursue righteousness and pursue holiness to be faithful to what God has told us to do. And there was generation after generation that said, we are not going to look like everybody around us. We are going to follow God. We're going to obey God. We're going to do what God wants. And they began to become labeled as the separate ones, the ones who were living different, the ones that wouldn't fit into society, the ones that were decided to take God at his word. And generations come and generations go, but it is that consistent zeal and that passion and that commitment to obey the covenants of God so that they might become like him. And you and I turn to Matthew chapter 1, and here's the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and we came to read Matthew's gospel, and we find this group of people known as the Pharisees that we don't see in the Old Testament, and that's because during at least those 400 years of silence, probably a little bit before that, there were a group of people that decided we are not going to conform. Now the problem is when we open up the pages of the New Testament, they're the bad guys. How, how did they get to be the bad guys? Now there's no way that I can um, stand here in light of the text, in light of what Jesus said, and paint them in a good light, right? Like I think that's one of the good reasons why I'm glad that instead of me just reading the text, Kyle was able to to project the text over us because it, it's rather strong, isn't it? And for me to come up and go, actually, the Pharisees are good people. They're just misunderstood. Um, maybe you should sit down, Jim, and we'll have Kyle do it twice. No. The full weight of God's judgment is upon them. For God himself spoke that judgment. Woe to you, blind guides, 
Woe to you. I just want to make sure that as we continue to pursue God through Jesus Christ, and as we think about this judgment that has been placed upon them, that we rightly discern who they are and what they were doing so that we can rightly pursue Jesus and not fall into some of the same traps that Jesus warns against. For Jesus said to the disciples in the crowds, listen, when the Pharisees are speaking and they're on Moses' seat, I want you to do what they say, but do not do what they do. Jesus periodically throughout the scriptures began to speak truth to this group of people that were once known as the separate ones, but now all of a sudden for a number of reasons, maybe this is the way we always end up when we take the words of God and to try to manipulate the system so that somehow, somehow we can please him apart from him. I don't know how we get there. I do know that there are a lot of similarities between Jesus and the Pharisees that we usually skip over completely. Both of them were very passionate and very zealous for the holiness and the righteousness of God. Jesus never said, well, you know what I don't like about you guys? You just don't care enough. Jesus never actually said that their major problem was that they didn't love people enough. Now, that's what we make up. No, Jesus actually looked at a lot of their zeal, at a lot of their passions, at a lot of their desires. I believe it's a rather striking compliment when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, Jesus said, I've come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. For I tell you the truth, that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, that's not a low bar, that's a high bar. For unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes, exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will surely not enter into the kingdom of heaven. He is saying, listen, these guys are passionate, they are committed, they are zealous, for righteousness' sake, and Jesus is very passionate and committed for righteousness and holiness. You do realize that without his death, none of us become holy. Without his righteousness, none of us get righteous. It's not like Jesus doesn't care about righteousness and holiness. He cares more than anyone about it. Gives his life so that you and I might have it. I think Jesus and the Pharisees actually share this in common as well, that there is a, a position that they both find themselves in where they are the leaders of God's people. Now, obviously, Jesus, being God himself, that is a, a mantle or that is a responsibility that has been given to him by God or to God by himself, right? I mean, to himself from God, to himself by himself. Jesus being God, that's a fundamental game changer. And Jesus comes and he says, I want you to follow my example and I want you to listen to my teaching. And Jesus, is that, that is his proclamation, that is his goal. He is the one who gives commands and even says, I want you to follow these commands, the Pharisees also have a responsibility. Now, we might say self-imposed. I don't know if they would see it that way. They would, they would say, listen, all we're trying to do is go back and look at the law. All we're trying to do is go back and look at God's covenant and to obey it. That they believed in God's grace and in God's mercy. They believed in the holiness of God that was somehow given to them by them righteously pursuing the words of God. And Jesus' accusation is not that, man, you guys are going in the wrong direction. No, I think what Jesus is condemning them for is failing to get there. 
Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you're not fundamentally flawed with your zeal or your passion. You're fundamentally flawed in yourselves. Like you have, you have no ability to get there. And so you're going to find yourself increasingly frustrated. Well, what is Jesus so upset about? Well, there, there's been a little bit of a debate. Um, we are, uh, we're constantly deciding to reinterpret Jesus in light of our time. And so for a number of, of literally centuries, you would read this text and it just sounded harsh, like Kyle wasn't loud enough, Kyle wasn't angry enough. Um, a few years ago, there was another uh, series that came out on the gospel of Matthew itself, like a video, and it was just the words of the gospel itself, and this gentleman decided to depict it, and I remember reading an article about him, and he just said, listen, Jesus is loving and comparing and compassionate, and I, I just really think that there was a lot more love here and a lot more care here and a lot more nurturing here than real, really is usually depicted in a lot of preaching. I thought that was interesting, and I do believe that in light of next week's text, next week's text from uh, Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 37, where Jesus is weeping over the city that is ready to kill him, and just the brokenness, I think there is something that to be said about Jesus in, in great angst and turmoil and saddened by just how messed up the whole system is. But listen to what Jesus calls them. Here's Jesus' list of things. You hypocrites, you heard that repeated. You're nothing but blind guides. It's hard to say that positively. Hey, um, guide that's trying to lead people who's actually blind. I'm gonna give you an E for effort. It just doesn't write, you know, it doesn't sound like it. Whitewashed tombs. We don't fully understand um, how critical and important it is that in their culture, when there is something that is unclean, a dead body, where there's something that is ceremonially unclean, and you don't protect other people from venturing close by that, would then render them ceremonially unclean, whether they know it or not, before the presence of God. So whitewashed tomb is a, is a rather um, strong accusation against God's anger with them. He refers to them as unclean. And that's not, did you wash your hands? That's not that. It's, it's really going back to the idea, are you pursuing, are you pursuing God's covenant, righteousness? Are you trying even to be clean? A lot of the accusations that we hear about the sinners and tax collectors, that's not just a, a, a category of bad people. It's a category of people who aren't even trying like, you're not even committed to this. That's what the category is. Like you're not trying like we're trying. You're not acting like you don't have the same zeal and passion. You, you just been, I'll tell you, you're just mailing it in. That's the accusation that they have against. And, and what Jesus says is that, no, you're the ones that are unclean. We're the ones that are unclean. How about this one? It's, it's hard to say this one That's not without making it like harsh. Children of hell. Like I could do. <clears throat> Hold on, give me a second. Children of hell. That doesn't work. Now, children of hell is a pretty serious accusation. Serpents. Kind of thinking back on just what serpents do and notice this common theme in Jesus' accusations. 
It was a serpent that deceived Adam and Eve, our first parents. It's a serpent that sin entered into the world. And Jesus looks at these religious leaders and he calls them serpents, snakes, murderers. Now, it's interesting that what they're trying to avoid is the kind of the blame of the past while they are plotting to kill the Son of God. Beyond that, his followers. And Jesus rightly labels them, you are murderers. And you come from a family of murderers. Like that's pretty intense. Well, what is Jesus so upset about? I want to just kind of look through this text and just kind of see what is it that these Pharisees are doing? Like I, I get it. I'm not trying to label them as okay at all. But I want us to understand that what they're trying to do is to follow God and to take holiness and righteousness seriously, which we don't. And, and look how he describes it. Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 13, the first accusation Jesus gives against them is this, is that you shut the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Like you are a billboard advertising the kingdom of God worships here, Okay. You're, you're inviting people into the presence of God, and then when they get there, when they have an interest, when they begin to have, then you slam it on their face. You bring them in, bring them in, lure them in, lure them in, lure them in, and then you keep them from it. There are those people that are constantly groping, and, and you, by your actions, and by the way, they, they wouldn't agree with Jesus, but Jesus is saying, no, 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 by the way that you're living your life, by the way that you're failing in living your life to please God. You are actually keeping people from him. I mean, they would so disagree with that. Jesus points out that you will go really, really far to find a convert. Like you will invite people to church, you will bring them, you will, you will care for, you will love them, you will do all of these things, and then in the end, you, by the way that you're living and what you're calling them to, they will stand outside and have to knock. He goes on to say in verse 16, woe to you blind guides. It's interesting, this next accusation that he gets is, you're so interested in talking about holiness and righteousness that you begin to trip yourselves up as you begin to look for more holy and more righteous and you, and, and you don't have a heart that is pursuing that. What, like what you're doing is you're, you're trying to kind of dice up the word of God in such a way and, and your zeal, it's, your zeal is not the problem, but what you're doing is you're, you're, you're making categories where there aren't categories. You're deciding from a worldly perspective. Listen, it's not the temple that's holy, but it's the gold in the temple that makes the holy. Like it, it's not the altar that makes us, in terms of our appeal to God, it's the gift on the altar. So if you're making a vow, it's the gold, it's the gift. And Jesus says, you just don't understand the scriptures. He's not accusing them of being unkind or mean or he's saying you, you fail to understand. He says this all the way through the scriptures. One of the statements that Jesus makes earlier in Matthew's gospel is why is it that you know how to interpret the weather but you cannot interpret that the Messiah is here? Why is it that you know to wake up and you look at the clouds and you can tell if it's going to rain or not? And you have no ability to see a spiritual thing like the Son of God, Messiah. Miracles and all, teaching and all. You have no ability to see this. What is wrong with you? Why don't you understand? Because you're blind guides. 
and your guides, and that's the problem because people are following you. Jesus continues on in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Now, this is where we get into a little bit of trouble because we actually argue everything's the same. That's our greatest, the greatest way we love to argue in today's culture is everything's the same. All sins are the same. Everybody is the same. God loves us all the same. We have all these sames. By the way, the Bible doesn't describe it that way, but it's real easy for us to kind of think in those terms. Notice what Jesus says. Listen, like here, here is who you are. You, you take matters like tithing, and then you go all the way down. I mean, have you seen dill? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One for God. One, two, cumin. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know how to divide that up. And they are really, really passionate about this. And what's interesting is, notice what Jesus says in this section. He doesn't say, why are you doing that? Why are you tithing mint? God doesn't care about little things. I hear that all the time. God really doesn't care about little things like our sex lives or whether or not I've like hurt somebody emotionally or I'm exploiting other people for my own benefit. Like God doesn't care about the little things. He only cares about the big things. Nowhere does the Bible say that. It seems like God actually cares about all things. And notice what Jesus says here. These things you ought to have done. Man, the counting out, man, the zeal that you had. That's impressive. Now, why is it that you had no ability to discern that if I'm going to count out dill, I should really pay attention to the greater matters? Notice what he says those greater matters are. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Well, but we, we had this one class and we found out that all the laws were the same. Our teacher kept telling us that all the laws are the same and that all the sins are all the same. So we just decided to not think about it and just follow what they said. You know, Jesus, you know, look what he says. And I, I love your zeal, I love your enthusiasm. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that you can't discern. You can't discern that like justice and mercy and faithfulness are greater than the way that you're counting out. What Jesus is exposing here is that, have you noticed, Jesus says about the Pharisees, have you noticed how they, I love it when it's they and not me, have you noticed how they pick and choose which laws they want and then which laws they don't want? He says that's the sign of a really broken heart. That's the sign of somebody who is completely disconnected from God is they know when to pick and choose, when to follow and when not to follow. The accusation is not, well, I don't know why they're trying to be righteous. No, it's I don't know why they're selectively trying to be righteous. And that selective righteousness, that selective holiness, um, what else could we call it? Rebellion. Stubbornness. And what Jesus is describing here is that he will have nothing of it. Notice how he continues, verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You know how to clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside it is full of greed and self-indulgence. Okay, but Jesus, we're talking about cups. Like, can we talk about cups again? Because cups are easy to figure out. Jesus, can we talk about my smoking problem? Because that's an easy one to deal with. I really should stop that, shouldn't I? 
Like, do you know all these outside issues that we have? Which, by the way, I, I, don't, I don't even know if they're bad. I, I think it might be even good to try to think of some outside issues. But if you learn to stop smoking but are still are filled with greed and self-indulgence, you'll just smell better when you get to hell. You know what I mean? See, this is religion, isn't it? Let's clean up the outside. Let's look good on the outside. Let's dress up. Let's, let's, be, let's be appropriate when we're in the right spots. And what Jesus says is that your desire, speaking again of them, those Pharisees, your desire to make it look like you're pursuing God when you're not. Like that's what a Pharisee did. And the scariest part was they, were, they themselves were blind to this. They actually thought that following God and pursuing God in these ways, they really thought that they had God's favor. That's the most damning aspect of it all. They were completely blind, completely blind. And then when Jesus came to them and said, I want you to see, and he begged them to see, they refused to see that on the inside was, was selfishness and greed Jesus' accusation in Mark 7, you guys will reject laws like honor your father and your mother so that you can somehow keep your estate. You, you guys know how to go to a good tax attorney. You guys know how to figure out a way to somehow think in your own mind you're pleasing God while you're selectively choosing to ignore the commandment to honor your father and your mother. You guys will take this religiosity to the furthest extent and you got a bunch of people, a bunch of lemmings following after you over the cliff, and he's mad. You know, it's interesting, kind of the biggest accusation that he gives kind of at the end of all of this is he really describes this group of people who are whitewashed tombs, verse 27, outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you are full of hypocrisy, right? You're not following, again, Jesus' condemnation is not that they're trying to earn their way and you can't earn your way. That's, he never says that. He is pointing out, notice the last word here. You're full of hypocrisy and what? Lawlessness. Excuse me? You're calling me Lawless? I was counting my cumin. You're calling me lawless. Nobody takes the law. And Jesus, oh, 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 oh. selectively takes the law. Okay, nobody selectively, they would never say it. Now here, here's what's important for us as we try to apply this to our own lives. Is that as you probably know, um, and I hear this a lot, the church is full of Pharisees. The church is full of hypocrites. I, I tried to be as honest as I could about this. I, I doubt if in my personal experience, people I've attended church with, people that have been part of my church, I doubt if I have in my 48 years of living, almost 49, in my 49 years of living, I doubt I have met 49 Pharisees. I mean, I mean people who are, Counting out, I mean, let's just take a quick poll. Honestly, nobody will think less of you. How many of you count your dill? Cumin? Okay, that's, okay, we don't have that. We don't even do that. How about this? How many of you have carefully, 
every year since you were, I don't know, eight, made sure that you tithed to the penny. How many of you follow the law with that kind of religiosity? Uh, By the way, I, I actually think you are accurate in not raising your hands. Like it's rare. It's really rare that I mean, now it's easy to label them, you Pharisee. What do you mean by that? You're just mean, meanie. Okay, use meanie. Sounds dumb, but at least it's more accurate. And and what we actually think, the opposite of a Pharisee, this kind of gets interesting, is that an opposite of a Pharisee is somebody who, who gets grace, who celebrates grace, who most likely actually flaunts grace. Yeah, we don't have these kind of rules. I mean, actually, my daughters can dress any way they want. So can my sons. Yeah, I don't believe in that kind of religiosity. We don't have to go to church anymore. We get to go to church. If we're not busy, we go to church. We're not like those Pharisees who say we have to go all the time. You know, there are those like Pharisees who say that we should only act a certain way, but the truth is I act any way that I want. I am so not a Pharisee. This, this, you, I see this a lot in the church. You see this a lot in the church? I can count more than 50 of these. Celebrate grace. Um, it's a different form of lawlessness, interestingly enough. And we think this is the opposite of a Pharisee. Somebody who celebrates the grace that we have to keep on sinning. And then say, I can't help it. It's so hard to not sin. I love to tell people when they always tell me that, try right now in front of me to do some of those things you've been doing. You can't, can you? It's interesting how someone watching you helps. Someone's always watching you. But this is usually what we think about as the opposite of a Pharisee. And I'll actually argue that's just another version of messed up royally. This is not what Jesus died for. It's not what he's calling us to. The opposite of a Pharisee is not that. The opposite of a Pharisee, interestingly enough, is a child. Someone who is humble and submissive and teachable. Not free to sin any way that they want. Not to act any way that they want because of God's grace. But to pursue God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Someone who loves holiness, someone who loves righteousness, And is allowing God to set up the terms instead of themselves. And my concern for us as a church is that it's so easy to caricaturize these people, even though it is so hard for me to find anybody like this. And my biggest concern is there are a bunch of us who are sliding over to a lifestyle that will still fall under God's judgment. And we will just kind of think we can raise some kind of a mercy card, failing to understand that in no way, shape, or form did Jesus ever die for us so that we could be unholy, unrighteous, self-absorbed, greedy people. But at least we're not Pharisees because I'm really honest about being greedy and selfish. I just decided to label myself as that. Now what Jesus is calling us to is this. Humble, submissive, teachable. 
It's interesting, there are a couple of different examples, four at least that I could find, four examples of what the Pharisees look like in the Bible. I want you to think about which one might be you. There's Nicodemus from John chapter three. He's a Pharisee who is clearly pursuing Jesus. Jesus, what, is it, what does it look like to be part of the kingdom of God? It's someone who's born again. How do you get born again? He is, a, he is asking questions and he is, just, he is pursuing Jesus. We don't know exactly what happens to him. He's described only in John's gospel. It appears that near the end, in terms of some of the people he's associating himself with, that maybe he finds him. But Nicodemus clearly is somebody who is honestly pursuing. In Luke chapter seven, we have another Pharisee named Simon. Not Simon Peter, but a Pharisee named Simon. Simon is your typical Pharisee. He actually loves to surround himself with people who are unclean sinners, meaning that they're not committed like he's committed. And in one particular encounter when Jesus is there and this woman who has no interest outwardly like a Pharisee to pursue holiness, instead, what she decides to do is just cling to Jesus like a child. And this Pharisee actually is somebody who is really interested in their own self-importance. Woe to you, Simon. The third group that we actually see, one of my favorite people in the Bible, is Gamaliel, interesting guy. He would be one of Paul's teachers, Saul of Tarsus, one of his teachers. And there's an encounter in Acts chapter five where we actually see Gamaliel who gets the big picture about God. The, 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 the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, which would be the leaders, the 70, the great leaders of, uh, of the Jewish people in Israel, they pull the disciples away. They tell them, you gotta quit talking about Jesus. Gamaliel gives this speech to the rest of the Sanhedrin. Listen, guys, if this is truly of God, we can't stop it. No matter what we do, we cannot stop it. I think we need to warn them but in the end, if this is of God, what else can we do? I don't know if Gamaliel ever got it. He may have always been a big picture guy. There's a lot of these people in church, aren't there? Big picture guys about God and about Jesus. You know, God's gonna have his way in the end, amen? Uh, what does that mean? That means I don't wanna be religious, but I wanna kinda pretend I am religious. Oh, okay. Pharisees come in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. Gamaliel, for the most part, apparently, seems to be following in that camp. We don't know if he ever comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to a childlike, humble, submissive, teachable position with Jesus Christ. Lastly, my favorite Pharisee of them all. His name was Saul. It became Paul. And through a divine encounter with Jesus Christ himself, he decided, I can't do life the way I used to do it. I can't please God by just obeying his laws in the Old Testament. I need to follow him all the time, all as he speaks through me. I need to understand what the law was all about and how that led to something else. And the Apostle Paul becomes the greatest advocate of righteousness and holiness in the Bible outside of Jesus Christ. Because he understands that listening to God and obeying God and following God is the way that it should be. I don't keep sinning so that grace might increase. May that never be the case. But I can't just go to creating a system where everyone else is impressed, but I know the brokenness inside of me. 
And the Apostle Paul, one of the proudest people, humbles himself. Read Philippians 3. One of the proudest people humbles himself and gives his life to Jesus Christ. And says, you define holiness. You define righteousness. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what Exodus is all about. You tell me what Exodus is all about. I'm not going to sit here and argue with you about Leviticus, Jesus. You tell me what Leviticus is all about. Jesus, I'm not here to argue with you about this. I'm here to say thank you for what you've done for me. And Paul finds in Christ a righteousness apart from the law. And he is so grateful. So what does a modern day Pharisee look like? Listen, I I think there really is this middle category of of religious people who want you to follow kind of their religious system and it's very strict and it's very formal and they'll tell you how to dress and what to do and I'm sure, you know, they've got it all figured out and and honestly, we need to be aware of these people and we need to be afraid of these people or at least aware of them in such such a sense that we know to not follow them. They are all the things that Jesus described, hypocrites. There are... And I, I don't know, it's interesting enough, I, I, the more that I think about it, there's a lot within these people where they can really look like Pharisees. They've got a new holiness because their holiness is cool because it involves a lot of sin and a lot of just saying, I, I can't help it kind of stuff. But they still believe there's a past to God. It's about genuine authenticity. And there's a pass or a, a path to, to God apart from Christ. It's just about being genuine and authentic. Pharisees look like a number of different things today. But really, we're not here to describe Pharisees. We're here to ask the question, are we truly listening to what Jesus wants? Like, are we listening? Are we truly listening to what Jesus says? Which is, listen, woe to you and woe to you too. Become like a child. Take your life, every aspect of your life, and submit it to him. Pursue holiness and righteousness. Say no to sin, not by your own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Recognize that your righteousness can't be found anywhere apart from what Jesus did on the cross. And there's nothing that you can do to add to that, but when the Holy Spirit gets inside of you, your life is empowered by it. That is God's design and that is God's plan. The word woe to you is one of condemnation, one of God damnation. And I hope and pray that you understand what it means to be a child. So instead of hearing woe to you, you hear well done, my good and faithful child. Let's pray. God, thank you for your kindness to me, your purpose to us. Thank you for Jesus, how he speaks the truth about what is broken. Thank you, Father, for the fact that it is not just a religiosity and a pursuit of holiness in the law that is dangerous, but, Father, there are other forms of danger that exist. And forgive us as a church from running from one danger into another. I just thank you for the clarity of pursuing you like a child where we truly are humble, where we recognize our need and the greatness of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. One challenge I wanna give you, we are starting 
Because um, the pursuit of God and knowing him is a good thing. And hopefully we don't take it like a Pharisee and go, look what I know. Hopefully we don't do that. But in our growth and our understanding about who God is, we can love him more and honor him more. We're starting, in the past we've called this the theology program. We're now calling it the school of theology. We're going to be studying apologetics, how and why we believe what we believe about God and the Bible. And it's going to be starting tomorrow night, Monday night, 6 to 7.30. We're going to be meeting in the hub. If you'd like to register um, to our number, if you just text theology, that will help connect you to that particular class. We really hope to see you there. More importantly, in light of what we have just described, I pray that in light of the fact that one day you will hear either, I did not know you, or welcome my child. If you want to continue this faith conversation, we would love to continue it with you. There will be men and women down front that will continue that conversation. Just walk this way instead of that way. We love you guys. God bless. We'll see you next. No, we'll see you Wednesday night.